dazzling images on a huge silver screen. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this, and stories feel perfect and powerful. Because here, they are. Welcome to another episode of In a Place Like This. I'm Chris Michael Smith. Happy Noirvember! In honor of Noirvember, I was originally planning to do a series of two or three mini episodes where I kind of discuss some of my favorite film noirs. I recorded one of them and I hated it. So those of you who've been following me on the socials know that I decided instead to try something a little bit different and I kind of like where my responses went. Um, kind of want this to be almost a template for how many of my mini episodes go going forward. So this has been a learning moment for me, and I feel like the episode I'm about to record is going to end up way better than the one that uh, I will not be releasing because I low-key, y'all could just uh, follow me on Letterboxd and pretty much get the same thing out of that. So uh, at that point, why even have a podcast? So with this news, in case you have not been following me, I went to the socials and started asking uh, you, my fans, listeners, uh, what you what your favorite film noirs are, and I could bounce off of that. Uh, and my responses have been really good. So looking forward to getting started on uh, all of that. Uh, before I begin, a couple of announcements. Um, I know I originally was talking about doing a holiday episode. Um, you know what? There might be a mini coming soon for that. However, when it comes to full, complete episodes with a guest where we go in-depth, uh, I feel like season one has come to an end. Uh, yeah. A couple reasons for that. Number one, I feel like uh, my Phantom of the Opera episode was a really good place to close it off. It was a very satisfying episode to record. It's one that I'm very proud of. And much like today's mini episode, that one set a template for how I want to approach full episodes in the future, which means there's going to have to be a little more planning involved than what I had been doing this season. But if you listen to, say, that episode or the Pokemon episode, um, or even my episode on After Yang and uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, I feel like my episodes tend to have better direction if they are more focused as opposed to going for bigger, broader subjects. And that's not to say that I'm not proud of my episodes where I did tackle those bigger, broader subjects. I just feel like I kept wanting to rush to the next point and we didn't really get to sit in a lot of the stuff that would have made for like maybe a richer conversation. And I do want to have more of that next season. I mean, I, I, I'm... One of the episodes I'm proudest of is the uh, Pride Month episode, which was great, but the only reason that worked is because I split it into two episodes. So we were able to, like, live in the movies we were talking about while also covering a big, broad subject. And like I said, even in that episode, we 
barely scratched the surface. So yeah, um, I did want to take this time to thank all of you who have been listening this whole time, who've been loyal fans, who've taken to the socials even to promote uh, this very small amateurish podcast that honestly doesn't even have a microphone. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I, I'm really happy to continue doing this. I do need a bit of a sabbatical. That's also kind of why there's been a bit of a gap between episodes, including the minis. Um, but I have some big plans for next season, and I'm going to sort of map it out a little bit better. And uh, even with that, uh, anyone who would like to be a guest on this podcast, do hit me up. I can send you what ideas I have, or you can submit your own. In fact, uh, After Yang, uh, Pokemon, and Phantom of the Opera were all suggested by my guest. As for when I expect Season 2 to begin, um, sometime in early 2023, aiming for maybe late January, early February, um, I do want to maybe open up with a Best of 2022 episode that might highly depend on when they decide to release some of the best movies of 2022 because oftentimes that doesn't happen until February 2023. Uh, movie distribution is wonky. I hate it, but you know. Anyway, on to today's subject, film noir. I briefly touched upon this in our Pride Month episode because um, a lot of times film noir does touch upon a uh, very thinly veiled uh, homosexual subtext. Since I basically covered that already, I'm going to be just talking about the movies themselves, not so much the subtext, uh, unless it comes up, but I don't think it did. Anyway, uh, I the first two responses I got from this, uh, th funny enough, this was going to be the original subject for the... Uh, first mini when I was going to make this a series. Uh, Sunset Boulevard, uh, 1950 film directed by Billy Wilder. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, this one's probably my favorite film noir. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. There was a time I considered it my favorite movie of all time. It is still very close to the top of that list. It is this very Hollywood-centric story um, Gloria Swanson is just phenomenal in it. In a way, it's almost kind of like a send-up to the genre, because by this point of, well, genre, hold up, let me backtrack that a little bit. Film noir is, film noir, if I can pronounce that correctly, it's French, is not a genre. Uh, it is a an accidental movement of sorts. Uh, what happened during the 1930s uh, was a little thing called World War II, and a bunch of European filmmakers started to flee to the United States where they could make movies. Uh, Billy Wilder, in fact, was one of them. None of these filmmakers uh, went into their projects saying, I am going to make a film of the film noir genre. The term wouldn't get coined 
until sometime in the 50s when Cahiers du Cinema decided to look into the auteurs and uh, the artistic merit of film. And uh, they discovered that a lot of movies from this era incorporated um, somewhat expressionist sensibilities, uh, incorporation of light and shadow in a very interesting way. They all told these dark and bleak stories where like the protagonist it, the, it typically doesn't have a happy ending. It can, but doesn't always. And that's also why the definition of film noir is kind of fluid. Um, you're, you might have purists saying, no, it had to have been made in this time period by these filmmakers. It had to have a femme fatale in it. It had to have... And a lot of them did. A lot of them had that. A lot of them had the voiceover narration at the beginning. Um, a lot of them do. But the thing is, like, because it's not a hard and fast genre, uh, at least not in its original form, you can kind of make a case for a lot of films uh, as noir. And I'm actually going to make one later that uh, might be a bit of a hot take, but you know what? This was actually suggested by one of my viewers and uh, viewers, haha, <laughs> non, non-visual medium, one of my listeners, uh, yeah. And because I definitely said I'm, this is a no gatekeeping zone, I'm going to uh, stick to that and make that case. So moving on, back to Sunset Boulevard. It does feel like a parody of that sensibility in a way. There's a little bit of like a black comedy element to it. Uh, Norma Desmond, uh, the character played by Gloria Swanson, this um, very... Uh, past her prime actress from the silent era is very high camp in a way super over the top but this definitely fits her character like it's not over the top in a way that it removes you from the movie uh but it really does fit where her character would be at and just the general vibe of the movie which makes it even better uh that ending where she's descending the staircase is oh my it is iconic uh that's the film where they deliver the line all right mr demille i'm ready for my close-up that that's where that comes in um just a perfect movie in every way imaginable uh yeah i can't talk this one up enough if you have not seen sunset boulevard yet it is incredible like I said, I still consider it one of my all-time favorite films. Uh, and if you have not seen it yet, but you do have a library card, get on Hoopla, because it is on Hoopla, where you can watch it right now. And if you don't have a library card, number one, get one. Support your local libraries, please. But also, Pluto TV has it, and that is also another free streaming service that you basically just have to deal with the ads. Uh, but yeah, uh, that is according to Just Watch, so give that a look. You can also rent it in most online marketplaces. I'm pretty sure you could find... Uh, I haven't checked if Netflix's DVD service has it, but it would not surprise me if they did. It's a great film. Please like do yourself the favor and watch it. 
this one was suggested by two different listeners. This was uh, James64112 on Instagram and Disney Metalhead on Instagram. Be sure to give them a follow. They're, they have very fun Instagram accounts. And James also, uh, when I told him, like, you know, that somebody else had already picked Sunset Boulevard, decided um, to throw in another title, um, Blade Runner 2049. I wholeheartedly agree with uh, considering this a at least neo-noir. Uh, this one, as well as its uh, incredible classic predecessor, the original Blade Runner from 1982. Uh, both of these films are just classic style, classic noir style detective stories. Um, Ironically, like the thing that made it feel film noir when we're going back going back to the original uh, that you would expect would make it feel film noir is a voiceover narration, which a lot of people feel ruined the movie and is actually not in the director's cut or the final cut uh, for good reason. Uh, the final cut of Blade Runner is probably the best one. Uh, highly recommend the director's cut as well. Uh, I'm mentioning the original because Blade Runner 2049 is, it kind of does require at least familiarity with how the original story went. So the original Blade Runner, directed by Ridley Scott, uh, who would uh, who is also famous for doing films like Alien and uh, Gladiator, uh, still working today. Uh, very most recently he just last year he did one of my favorite movies of the year uh, the last duel and also he did house of gucci which was a bit of a camp classic for me so you know he, he kind of like he's a very um very versatile film director uh blade runner follows a uh blade runner that's his profession <laughs> uh what a blade runner is is uh they have to find all of these Oh my gosh, you know what, I can't, I'm not going to really describe it. It is a sci-fi. It is a science fiction film. Guy is going to go after clones, uh, falls in love with one of them. She doesn't know she's a clone. Um, and they also have, like, shortened lifespans. Uh, Rucker Hauer is this amazing villain. Uh, you <laughs> yeah, I, again, this is supposed to be a mini-episode. I could talk all day about Blade Runner, um... It's also one of my favorites. It's one of those movies that every time I see it, I catch something new. A uh, bit of a cheat because every time I see it, there all, there always seems to be a new uh, edit to the movie. Although the most recent one was in 2007. So that seems to be it. I, I don't think Ridley Scott's going to touch it anymore. Uh, so if you have not seen Blade Runner yet, uh, it is a deliberately paced film. So be ready for that. It was made in the early 80s, so... Uh, if you do have a thing with slower paced move against slower paced movies, um, just give your, make sure you have the patience for it. Uh, the final cuts, which again, my personal favorite is currently streaming on HBO max. Also, if you have, um, freebie, which is free, it used to be IMDb TV. It's on that as well. If you don't have HBO max. So moving on to the sequel, uh, which came out uh, decades later, I believe in 2017, Blade Runner 2049. 
By the way, also streaming on HBO Max and Freebie, so you can give yourself a pretty exciting double feature there. Uh, starring, of course, Harrison Ford, once again. Uh, Ryan Gosling is the new Blade Runner, and Harrison Ford is, like, old now. That's the general vibe of the film. And yeah, it does play with those sensibilities again. Um, what makes 2049 particularly special, because again, I, I, I know that there's always this whole thing against films that require that you've seen the original in order to fully understand it. Um, and I get that, but I still think you should watch both of these. Um, they are very well made. Blade Runner 2049 is just gorgeous. Uh, the cinematography, the visual effects, the production design, the use of color and lighting in the whole thing. It's just incredible. Uh, it is one of the most visually spectacular films I have ever seen to date. Uh, so yeah, again, very deliberately paced. Directed by Denis Villeneuve. Uh, once again, hoping I pronounced the dude's name right. The guy who uh, most recently made Dune. Uh, yeah, uh, directed Blade Runner 2049. Uh, just a... It's gorgeous. Give it a look if you haven't yet. And yes, I do feel both of these films fall within that neo-noir sensibility. It does have that bit of a detective story thing going. Very dark and bleak. Uh, Blade Runner, the final cut, the original, ends on a cliffhanger. And... It's one of those that really uh, leaves it up to audience interpretation. Uh, if anything, the sequel kind of takes that away because it straight up tells you what happened. But like for a good 30 years, you just kind of had to guess. So yeah, uh, Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049, both excellent additions to the noir sensibility. Friend of the show, Shane Anderson, who you might remember from our uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once episode, sent me three of them. Um, Chinatown, uh, directed by... Redacted. Uh, <laughs> with an incredible screenplay, just phenomenal writing by Robert Town, who was very much inspired by the film noir uh movement, I guess, of the 1940s. Uh, definitely brought that here. Starring Jack Nicholson and Faye Dunaway, John Huston. Uh, oh, wow. Like, uh, this is another one of those movies that gets better every time I see it. Uh, it's just a perfect, exquisitely written film. Uh, the, like, the, the screenplay, it doesn't get any... It's one of the best scripts, one of the best written movies ever made, and I, I, I can't I can't talk that up enough. Uh, again, just this whole totally, like, dark and bleak story, and it just kind of, like, gets even more and more messed up as it goes along. Um, yeah, it's, it's incredible. Um... If you've, we, I mentioned it in a, our summer blockbuster episode because uh, we talked about The Kid Stays in the Picture, a great documentary about the guy who produced this movie and 
Yeah, uh, when we talk about like how a producer put a movie together, Chinatown is like the perfect example of that. Now think about like how we don't even really like to talk about the director, but we could still talk about this movie like it's a masterclass in screenwriting and that's why I think it's definitely worth a look. Chinatown is currently playing on HBO Max. If you have a library card, uh, you can give yourself access to Hoopla and Canopy, which both have Chinatown. Uh, so yeah, you might definitely want to give this one a look. Uh, once again, support your local libraries, get a library card, and you will have access to the immense libraries uh, online that Hoopla and Canopy have to offer. Um, it's it's amazing. Uh, I, I can't talk these services up enough. But of course, yes, HBO Max also has it. The second one that he brought up was another Billy Wilder film, Double Indemnity. I watched this one for a class uh, years ago, and I fell in love with this one as well. Uh, very classic, like, crime story where, like... Uh, Barbara Stanwyck plays this very shady wife who's trying to bump off her husband to get the insurance money and uh, kind of drags along uh, Fred McMurray as a uh, the insurance salesman who helps her do it. The whole plan is uh, has a monkey wrench thrown into it by Edward G. Robinson, who's uh, Fred McMurray's partner in the movie, who sees right through the insurance scheme uh, just because it doesn't feel right. This is just a guy with a hunch. And yeah, it's like this really sexy movie uh, or as sexy as it can get for like, uh, you know, the uh, Hayes Code era. But like you see the, the chemistry between these two. It's like fire until it all just kind of like goes to hell. Uh, when they're in danger of getting caught. And yeah, it, it's like one of those where it's like, you kind of want them to get away with it, even though you really shouldn't. It really plays with that whole like forbiddenness of the whole situation. And it does so very well. And again, Billy Wilder, um, yeah, again, that's two of his films in this particular episode. He is one of the great, was one of the greats. Uh, between these two, he uh, he's done film noir. He's also done comedy. Very good with comedy. Uh, famously, Some Like It Hot was one of his. Uh, the Apartment. Uh, very, like, ver another very versatile filmmaker who brought us at least two of the best film noirs of all time and would kind of, like, keep coming back to the genre, to be honest. Uh, yeah, he uh, he was great. Uh, definitely one of my favorites, especially from that era. And Double Indemnity, uh, if I can say that right, Double Indemnity <laughs> is also one of the classics, the great classics of the 1940s. Uh, check that one out. Unfortunately, as of now, no free streaming service has it, but you can rent it from numerous online marketplaces. Again, check your local libraries. They might have a copy. Support your local libraries. And the third one he suggested, uh, I had to go and watch it. 
because uh, I had never seen this movie before. And I have to say, it is now one of my favorite uh, film noir, or neo-noir, because it's definitely after the 1940s. Uh, it's a film called Experiment in Terror, directed by Blake Edwards. Blake Edwards was the surprise here, because like that guy is definitely someone who I associate with comedy. Uh, he did the original Pink Panther films, uh, for instance. Uh, breakfast at tiffany's and he's coming out coming at us with this really dark and like super suspenseful nail biter of a thriller oh yeah i i was blown away by it uh shane kind of described it as a proto fincher uh david fincher uh director of gone girl fight club uh zodiac and yeah, you know what? I can see it. I can definitely see it. It's just visually gorgeous, incredibly well filmed. The acting is great. Uh, the suspense just never lets up the whole movie. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm thankful for the recommendation. And I'm going to go ahead and recommend it to all of you as well. Once again, this one, unfortunately, is not available on any free streaming service. However, again, all online marketplaces have it available for rent. And once again, check your local libraries. Uh, Trey Palmer on Instagram. Uh, that's T-R-A-E Palmer 85. Uh, actually decided to throw a couple of tech noirs at me. And unfortunately, I have seen neither one of these yet, but I have put them on the list and will get around to them. Those were Gattaca and The 13th Floor. He also suggested the uh, anime series Big O. So these are all... Uh, so thank you for giving me homework. I'm going to give these a look uh, as soon as I can. So friend of the show, Clark Silva, decided to throw a curveball at me. Um, Clark, who you may have remembered from our Phantom of the Opera episode, uh, suggested The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I know what you're thinking, because even I was like, what? But, okay, I said no gatekeeping. Now, when I said that, I was leaving everything open for, like, say, neo-noir, tech-noir, or even parody-noir, like who framed Roger Rabbit would fit in that. I would even have accepted maybe the fifth element. Uh, you know, you can make a case for those. When it comes to Lord of the Rings, well then. <laughs> Challenge accepted. I'm going to make the case that the Lord of the Rings is a film noir or neo-noir, uh, fantasy noir. Uh, yeah, uh, give me a sec. <clears throat> So, <laughs> the Lord of the Rings. Uh, let me see. Well, uh, uh, one of the staples of the uh, of the film noir movement is the presence of a femme fatale. There is none. Uh, this film does not have a femme fatale character. Uh, no one, no one person who is going to say be the dangerous uh 
seductive vixen. Oh, wait. There is no human character that does that, but the Ring of Power has that influence. So as a... As a stand-in for the femme fatale in this very uh, male-centric movie, I'm going to say the Ring of Power is going to be that. Uh, many film noir protagonists are kind of uh, anti-heroes who are in it for themselves. I don't quite think Frodo fits that mold. However... Aragorn, uh, who again, he has that, that, you know, character arc and uh, does become a selfless uh, hero, does start off as sort of a drifter who's uh, kind of skirting his own uh, responsibility and his own destiny for, you know, personal reasons. So he kind of does fit that anti-hero mold. And Frodo, having been seduced by the ring, does also uh, some shady things, uh, including, you know, turning away his best friend, who is, by the way, the perfect person who definitely deserved better. Samwise Gamgee is an angel, and how dare you, Frodo. But, yeah, Frodo starts to do some, like, kind of selfish things, too, in pursuit of the Ring of Power, which is once again why the Ring of Power does work as a stand-in for the femme fatale character. Uh, again, yes, there are female characters in the film, but they are decidedly heroic. Like, there is nothing that, like, uh, where, where they drag any of the heroes down, they are themselves heroes. So, yeah, an object kind of taking the place of the femme fatale that's kind of why I feel a little bit more comfortable doing that because yeah, you do have strong female characters and they are like, they are the good ones. So yeah. <laughs> then there is the usage of light and shadow. And especially when you get to like the second and third film, things just get darker and darker. You have these sharp, rugged edges, which harken back to German Expressionism, which, by the way, uh, visual, very, it was, German Expressionism was a visual influence on film noir. So that fits. And like I said, voiceover narration is not exactly a thing that is, actually, there are no hard, fast rules to film noir. Uh, voiceover narration is a thing that, uh, is present in a lot of them, and Lord of the Rings doesn't really have that. It does a little for the intro, but it just kind of fizzles out, and she's not one of the main characters anyway. Uh, but if you think about it, at the end of the story, you see Frodo finishing off his book called The Lord of the Rings. So theoretically, what we are watching is Frodo recounting the story to us. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and in a way, his journey changes him uh, in a way that is, like, pretty final to the point where he ends up having to sail off to the Undying Lands. Uh, spoiler alert. So, um, yeah, it is kind of dark, very bleak. 
uh, you have an object that stands in for the femme fatale character, uh, utilizes visual cues that were also utilized in film noir. So I I'm just saying, I do I consider Lord of the Rings a film noir? I think it's a stretch, but I'm just saying a case can be made. And I'm hoping that, you know, the challenge being thrown at my feet. And it, when I questioned it, I was called a gatekeeper. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, you can make a case for it. Do I agree? You know what? I, I might be convinced now. Uh, fantasy noir, is that a thing? It can be now. So I'm just going to leave it at that. And since we do not make mistakes in this podcast, uh, I'm going to say I'm going to actually double down and say yes. Uh, Lord of the Rings, film noir. Uh, we can talk about it during Noir November because when is it a bad time to talk about Lord of the Rings? Let, let's get real here. So yeah, that answers that one. <laughs> and Hector Augustine on uh, Instagram also submitted Drunken Angel. Um, I am going to be honest, this is another one I have not seen. Another one I'm going to have to put on the list. Uh, Drunken Angel is a 1948 film from Japan directed by Akira Kurosawa. Uh, this was before he made Rashomon. Uh, and it was the first collaboration between Akira Kurosawa and Toshiro Mifune. Um, so I feel like I've been... Uh, derelict in my duty as a uh, cinephile for basically not having seen this film as much as I love Kurosawa. Uh, Seven Samurai is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yojimbo is fantastic. Uh, the Hidden Fortress is great. Uh, Rashomon. Uh, if even like his newer stuff like Ran was just... This is like a filmmaker, like one of the most influential of all time. And he made a, a neo-noir film that I'm sad I have not seen. So I'm going to be correcting that very soon. Uh, Drunken Angel. You can find that one on the Criterion channel. Uh, if you do not have the Criterion channel, it is also playing on Tubi and Plex. Both of those are free services that you just kind of have to deal with the ads. So uh, that's another one. Uh, hoping to have that viewed at least by next season because, wow, it's a Kurosawa film that I'm only just finding out about now. Yikes. Oh, uh, almost forgot. Gattaca is playing on Pluto TV. Once again, free service with ads. The 13th Floor is playing on HBO Max. And also you can watch the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy on HBO Max as well as Prime Video. Uh, you know what? Watch those again. Tell me if I'm right or wrong about it counting as uh, what I'm going to be calling fantasy noir. I'm just going to throw out a couple more uh, recommendations for you. Uh, the Night of the Hunter, directed by Charles Lofton. Um, yeah, really terrifying movie, I, and just one of the greatest ever. Uh, Gilda, directed by Charles Vidor. 
Both of those are available on who on a sorry Tubi. Uh, Night of the Hunter is also available on Hoopla, Canopy, and Pluto TV. Devil in a Blue Dress, directed by Carl Franklin and starring Denzel Washington. That one is on Hulu. Bound, directed by the Wachowskis, uh, which you can watch on Pluto TV. If that one sounds familiar, it is because we mentioned it on our Pride Month episode. So it is a very LGBT plus friendly uh, noir, uh, directed by uh, trans filmmakers. So give that one a look. The 1990 film Dick Tracy by Warren Beatty is kind of an a very uh, upbeat send-up to film noir. Uh, obviously a little bit more family-friendly because it was produced by Disney, uh, starring, of course, Warren Beatty and Madonna. Weirdly not streaming anywhere because I'm honestly surprised this one's not on Disney+. Plus. This one you do have to... Uh, shell out for the rental but it is available on the uh online platforms and of course the uh famous film noir in white uh fargo directed by the coens uh the only service that has this one is stars if you do not have stars again uh all the online marketplaces do have it and once again check your local libraries there is a chance they have a DVD copy of it. So, yes, support your local libraries whenever possible. And, yeah, in general, if you're looking for anything noir-related, you're usually going to have a good time. It's it really, like, I, I'm obsessed. I love all of it. And um, that pretty much does it for today's mini. Uh, once again, Season 1 is officially closed it is done uh 12 episodes is a good place to end it um but i will be back next year with some very cool ideas for season two we might have uh, one more mini <clears throat> excuse me we might have one more mini coming for the um holidays so look out for that and follow us on all the socials that's in a place like this podcast on twitter Sorry, that's in a place like this podcast on Instagram and in a pod like this on Twitter. Uh, gonna start adding um, more uh, socials to that uh, just in case the bird decides to um, die. But yeah. And thank you so much for listening, uh, not just for this episode, but for this entire season. Thank you to all my guests. Justin, Logan, Shane, Julia, Carlos, Rico, Christian, Michelle, Ralph, Matt, and Clark. Would love to have any of you on the show again. It's been great working with all of you. And for all of you listeners at home, I hope you were not just entertained, but somehow reborn together.